0: Hey, good morning, everyone. That one touched a little too close to home, huh? For some of us. Hey, good morning. Good to be back. Good to be here with you. It's like coming back home for us. For my wife and I, it's good to be here. Uh, a shout-out to you to those of you watching online. We're glad that you can join us online. But uh, hey, we save some seats for you. It's way better here in person, so come on down. Uh, we're going to be in Psalm 73 this morning. So fire up your apps. Load up Psalm 73 or... Maybe just like me, you're you know, I'm old school, and you can get your Bible, and you turn to Psalm 73. We're going to go through each one of those verses today, and refocusing, may, may the Lord help us to refocus back on Him, back on God. You know, it, it is said that the average person spends about 80 years on this earth, give or take, and, and on average, we spend about 26 of those years sleeping and and 7 of those years just trying to get to sleep which leaves us about 47 waking years of life and in the context of those years on any given day apparently we think as many as 50,000 thoughts per day don't ask me how they measure that but so be it and in fact about we make about on average 200 choices every day why does that matter Well, because, you know, we really are what we think. We're so influenced by those thoughts, right? In fact, in the book of Proverbs, it says, as a man thinks, so shall he be. So we really are what we think, and we're influenced, those thoughts, greatly influenced by people around us and by our surroundings, by our circumstance. We've known that full well these last number of months. What has it been, 16 years? Oh, no, no, I know it's 16 months. It just feels like 16 years, these last number of months. So we're influenced by our surroundings. and What often happens, as was illustrated on that video, we begin to make comparisons. Right? We start comparing. I compare my life with your life, my job with your job, what I have, my worldly or earthly possessions, compared to what you have. And here's the thing with comparisons. Sometimes I win and sometimes I lose. And when I win as part of those comparisons, you know, if I'm not careful, you can become a little prideful, a little arrogant, right? And if I lose because you, as it relates to comparison, you know, yours is better than mine, then it's not long before I start to become envy, envious and envy and embittered. So you got to be careful. you got to be careful about some of those thoughts that you you put in your head. We're, as I said, we're going to be in Psalm 73 this morning. I, I love the Psalms, 150 of them, expressions of praise and prayer and hope and lamentation. They're beautiful, 150. I read at least one of them every single day. I would encourage you, encourage you to do the same. Uh, theologian Walter Brueggemann, in his book called The Spirituality of the Psalms. He says that the psalms can be classified under one of three categories. There are the psalms of orientation, so everything's good, everything's right, right? The psalms of orientation, there are the psalms of disorientation, where, man, I don't know what happened, man, but things just kind of went off the rails, and there's been a whole lot of confusion and dismay and, and hurt, and then there are the psalms of new orientation. New orientation, you know what that means? It means we're we're back to the future, we're refocused back on God. The Lord often works that way, doesn't he? As we come through the dark night of the soul, as we come through the wilderness experience, we've all suffered some kind of loss these last number of months, some more so than others. God uses that to remind us to refocus back on him. Then there's a fourth category that I would add, and those are the imprecatory psalms. The Psalms of imprecation. What is that? That, That's really an expression of my anger or or my frustration and my my bitterness. We we see that in a number of the Psalms. And and the language could be quite graphic. Psalm 139 is a good example of imprecation. David, after after, uh, expressing imprecation and his frustration, he says this, Search my heart, O God, and know my thoughts, and see if there's any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. So David's saying, you know, he's expressing, he's getting his office chest, but that's not a good place to stay. And I don't want to think that thought. I don't want to live in that way. So lead me, God. So why is that important? Because we're going to see elements of all four of those things today in Psalm 73. Orientation, disorientation, new orientation, and even expressions of frustration or bitterness and anger. So who, who writes this psalm? Asaph. Asaph writes this psalm, right? And he, and he talks about, in the psalm, he talks about being envious. And the Bible warns us, folks, the Bible warns us a number of occasions on, on envy and the danger of being envy. In fact, in Proverbs 14, verse 30, it says, A tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. Man, I just love that. God just gets right to the heart of the matter, right? And God's basically saying, if you do this, you're going to, you're going to inflict a whole lot of pain on yourself. And then in Proverbs 23, verse 17, the, the word of God says, Let not your heart envy sinners, but continue in the fear of the Lord all the day. So God gives us some pretty explicit warnings on envy and, and to be careful about being envious. And we're going to see that today. So again, who is this guy, Asaph? As we establish our context, Asaph, he was one of the Levites. He was assigned by King David to be be a worship leader in the tabernacle. In fact, 1 Chronicles 16, verse 37 says, David left Asaph and his brothers in the tent, in the tabernacle, before the ark of the Lord to minister regularly before the ark as each day required. So he he had a lot of responsibility here. And and as a footnote, folks, as a footnote, worship is not just the beautiful songs that we sing here on a Sunday. Worship is every moment of every second of every day of your life. Think of it this way. Worship is a redeemed heart fully occupied with God, and the things I do now express that, or maybe not so much. I, I get it. Some days are better than others. So Asaph's duties are described in detail in 1 Chronicles 16. You can read that on your own later. You can see that in both Asaph and David. They were contemporaries. Both Asaph and David were skilled musicians, singers, and poets. Asaph is also mentioned as a seer, S-E-E-R. He's mentioned as a seer or or, or a poet or a prophet. In fact, Psalm 50 and Psalms 73 to 83 are called the Psalms of Asaph. So God highly esteems this man, highly esteems him. He was a gifted man. He understood where his gift came from, and he used his music, his gift, to praise the Lord and to communicate God's word to a needy people then, now, and forever. And yet, he took his eyes off of the thing that mattered the most, and he envied. So join me in a word of prayer and we'll dive right in. Father, thank you that we could be here together, praising you today, opening your word. Lord, help us to, to, to refocus, to reinforce our focus back on God. Lord, the days we these days in particular, we can be so fickle sometimes and finicky even, Lord, and, and be influenced by things that distract and distort our vision. God help us in these days ahead, now and in the days ahead, to To refocus, to lament, to do what is right, Lord, and to be back on track where you would have us to go. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so let's dive right in. We're going to be in Psalm 73. As I said, we're going to go through each one of the verses. So we've got a lot to cover here. So, verse one. Verse one. And before we go into verse one, by the way, in verse one, Asaph is making a declaration. Verse one is packed with theological truth. If we don't really understand verse 1, then the rest of the psalm is going to be even harder to come to terms with. So we got to understand verse 1 before we go to the rest. He says, truly, Asaph says, truly, you can take this to the bank, man. Truly, there is no doubt about this. God, Yahweh in heaven is good. Okay, so let's stop right there for a minute. Now, I don't know about you, but I can read that word good. You know, you read it, you hear about it, and you kind of just gloss right over it. You just kind of move on to the next thing because good, good, we can come to the place where good just simply means that it's not bad, right? And then you just carry on, right? You kind of gloss right over it. Well, that's true. But you know what? In the Hebrew, the word good is tov, T-O-V, and it's far more nuanced, far more detailed than simply that it's not bad. The word has great meaning to it. In fact, when you you think about this, think about this, when we go back in our thoughts to Genesis chapter 1, all right, when we read about Genesis chapter 1, we see the the seven literal 24-hour days, the creation account, and God created the heavens above, and it was good, it was tov, and God created the earth, and the, the animals on, on, on the earth, and the birds in the air, and the, the fish in the sea, and it was good. It was tov. And, and God's crowning glory is, man, we are, we are created as image bearers of God, and it was very good. And then we see this in Genesis 1, 31. and then on the seventh day, God saw all that he had made, everything that he had made, and it was very good. So, everything God created, everything is good. All right? And, and, and when everything is spoken into existence and accomplished, and walk, when all the intricate harmonies work together and are formed and fashioned, God's goodness, God's glory echoes throughout all creation. And you know what? You know what? That's good. That's what Asaph has in mind here when he speaks about. The truly God is good. But, but wait a minute, he makes a distinction here. He said, truly, Yahweh in heaven is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. Now that's true regardless whether, whether you're, you're part of the community of God or not, whether you're part of God's covenant family or not. That's true. That's an established, day. he declares that truth. But he says specifically to this group, the Israel, remember Israel, those are God's covenant people. Entrusted with the oracles of God. Remember Abraham? Abraham was chosen by God. And, and God said to Abraham that your descendants will be as numerous as the stars in the sky and the, and the sand on the seashore and the, and the world will be blessed from you and by you. Those who are near to God. But he says this, those who are pure in heart. Meaning meaning their desire. God's people desire. Our desire is to reflect the fact that God is good. And and don't lose sight of this fact here, folks, that our desires are linked to our identity. It's not the other way around. Because when our identity is linked to our desires, we get a, a whole lot of mess, and we're seeing a whole lot of that around these days, aren't we? Because each day my desire changes. Maybe it's different today, next week, next month. And then as a result, my identity changes. So your desires are linked to your identity. And that's what Asaph is saying here. So we establish that truth. And now the rest of the psalm is going to have that much more meaning. Look what he goes on to say. Verse 2. God is good, he says. Verse 2, he says, as for me, yeah, not so much. My, fleet, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped, slipped, sliding away. He's talking about stumbling, falling, sliding into sin. He's talking about sliding into sin. And he goes on to say this. He says, verse 3, how come, Asaph, what's up? He says, because I was envious of the arrogant. I saw the prosperity of the wicked. You see, You see, he's focused on his surroundings, and that's distorted his vision. So easy to do, man. It's so easy to do. And he says he was envious of the arrogant, those who were prideful. Those, and he says specifically, I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They, they seem, it seems to be a walk in the park over here compared to, to all the hardships we're having over here. That's not always accurate. But that's what he's saying. He's drawing this conclusion here. You see, what's happening here is there seems to be a disconnect. Or so, he see, so he's coming to this conclusion. There's a disconnect between the tov, the goodness of God, what we just described, and, and the world, right? The things all around them, the system of the world. The, the world makes no bones about it that it's in opposition to God and God's word and, and the Christianity. God, they're very much open and bold about that, direct opposition to God. But not only that. There seems to be certain people who have kind of camped over here, hitched their wagons over here that are doing just fine, thank you very much. They're prospering. They seem to have, they seem to have it's, it's easy street over here, they seem to have way a lot more than, than, than we do over here, or that he does specifically, Asaph. And you know what? That's just not fair. It's a dangerous way of thinking. Because eventually, you know what happens? Not only the order... But the one who is the guarantor of the order is now in question. And you know what? That, that framework of thinking actually has a name. It's called theodicy. And it's a dangerous place to go. Slip, sliding away, man, as we are about to see. All right, so let's keep going. Verse 4. He says, they, this is Asaph. He, he's expressing his lamentation. He says, they. Those who are prospering, the arrogant, the, the wicked, as it were. They, they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. You ever, you ever have those hunger pangs, those deep hunger pangs? They come upon you suddenly. Maybe you had to skip a meal or you skip breakfast and you went to work or you're outside working and then all of a sudden, suddenly, boom, these deep hunger pangs come upon you, man. And the only thing you want in that moment is to satisfy that hunger pang. Get out of my way, man. i got to get to the fridge. I had that experience just the other day. So... He says, they, meaning those who are prospering, that never happens to them. That's not entirely accurate, Asaph. He says their bodies are fat and sleek. In other words, they have more than enough. Look, he goes on to say in verse 5, they are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. And that is not entirely accurate, Asaph. You see, he's focusing on them, 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 and it's distorting his vision. And by the way, this, this this trouble and to be stricken, to be stricken by trouble, to be stricken means it comes upon you suddenly. Just like out of the blue. As no fault of your own. He said, that's what's happening to me and, and us over here, we are near to God. And those who have who were once near to God and have, have, have moved, have gone, and are far away from God, man, it's just it's just, it's a it's a walk in the park. Look what he goes on to say in verse 6. He says, therefore, because of that, pride is their necklace, violence covers them as a garment. What a beautiful word picture. Pride is their necklace, violence covers them as a garment. In one word, you know what he's describing here? In one word, it's it's called ego. These prideful, arrogant people. And you know, when when you wear a piece of jewelry, a necklace or a piece of jewelry, it's not for yourself necessarily. It's so that others would see it and admire it. And Asaph is saying here of those arrogant, they display their arrogance in a similar fashion. They want you to see it and they want you to admire it. Oh, and he says, by the way, violence covers them as a garment. If in so doing you get in my way, you get hurt, well, too bad, so be it. Then he goes on to say, look at verse 7. Their eyes, this group over here, their eyes swell out with fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. They see life through that lens, through their enormous egos. And they're foolish, he says. Remember what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 18? Paul says, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Remember that. And he goes on to say, listen, verse 8. They scoff and speak with malice. Loftily, they threaten oppression. You know, they're mocking, ridiculing. Malice, have you ever heard the expression malice of forethought? It means that's no accident. It's not accidental. It's very intentional. They do this with, with that intent in mind. And loftily, they threaten oppression. And again, if you get in the way, you might get hurt. So you, 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 better, you better step out of the way. Then he goes on to say about this group, he said, They set their mouths against the heavens, these know-it-alls. Their tongues strut through the earth. In fact, not only have they made themselves the highest authority here on earth, but apparently even higher authority than Yahweh in heaven above. It's not entirely accurate, but you see what he's doing here. He's expressing his frustrations because he's become bitter by his envy. Look, he goes on to say this in verse 10. Therefore, his people, turn back to them, find no fault in them. So there's two two different groups of people here that he's mentioning in verse 10. His people and them. Them, them over here, who are prospering, or so it seems, and his people. Who is his people? Remember verse 1? Truly God is good to Israel. Israel to those who are pure at heart, whose desire is linked to their identity, those who were once near and have now gone far away, he says that, that they've turned their back and they've gone over here, and you know what? They find no fault to them. What's the big deal? There's nothing wrong over here. And look what he says in verse 11. I love this. He says, and they say, quote, how can God know is their knowledge in the most high, end quote. Quotation marks likely refer to the fact that he probably heard some of them say these very things to him. Maybe he was, he was going over and so said, what are you doing? What are you doing over here? Maybe he was trying to help them, persuade them to, to set that aside. Come back. What are you doing, man? You're being foolish here. And maybe the very things, because it's in quotation marks, they were saying to him, Asaph, don't worry about it, man. Don't sweat. it. There's nothing wrong over here. In fact, you know what? God doesn't even care. Does he even know? Asaph, don't don't sweat. Come on. You know what? Eat, drink, and be merry, man. Get your piece of the pie before it's too late. Come on, Asaph. Verse 12, he said, behold, check this out. He says, behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches. He, he's making generalizations here, isn't he? And he's exaggerating. That's not, that's not uh, accurate, but he says this. They, they increase. They're, they're always at ease, right? And, and oftentimes, that is true, that these, these people will increase in worldly riches at your expense, if you get in the way. Verse 13, he says, all in vain have I kept my hands clean. All in vain have I kept my hands clean, he goes on to say, and washed my hands, clean hands and a pure heart. And you know what he's saying? Man, it was just, it's a waste of time. It's hard work. And I'm being stricken down with troubles. And over here, look at this like this is not this is not adding up he's saying right remember what solomon says in ecclesiastes a vanity of vanities a chasing after the wind or so it seems now that's not entirely accurate asaph why because look at this verse 14 for all the day long i have been stricken right that that trouble comes upon you suddenly no fault of my own and look at this, and rebuked every morning. Not only is he talking about being stricken, but he's turned up the volume a little bit, and he's saying, I've been rebuked every morning. It's like I've been punished every morning. We're seeing a little bit of woe was me happening here, right? But you know what, Asaph, that's not true, because Jeremiah tells us in Lamentation chapter 3, verse 21 to 24, that God's mercies are new every morning. Asaph, come on, man, snap out of this. You see what happens? When, when, you, when you focus on, on them, on, on your surroundings, it can distort and distract your vision. In 15, verse 15, he said, if I, if I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. So, you know, he, he knows enough as a leader as one who is influencing people, that's what leadership is. Leadership is influenced through relationship towards God's purposes or, or, or away from God's purposes. So he's saying, you know, if I would, if I would have just expressed my frustrations and perhaps somebody, some of the wrong people, he's, he's talking here specifically the kids, the younger ones in age and maybe those who are, are new to the Lord, they may have heard that and I may have influenced them away from the Lord away from from God. It's good to have a trusted people in your life, men or women, one or two, that you can meet with and you can express your heart and you can lament. Do that. That's good. But you don't want to stay there. Be careful to whom you share that with because you'll influence if those people are not as mature as you are, perhaps. And then 16... And I love this man, verse 16 and 17. Look at, how, look at how authentic he is. You can almost hear him take a deep sigh at this. Oh, man. He says, when I thought how to understand, it seemed to me like a worrisome task. You know what he's saying, man? Like I was just thinking about this over and over again. I was consumed with these thoughts, and it just robbed me of my joy. It took the wind out of my sails, man. I'm, I'm just fatigued by all of this. Meaning this, and then he says, Verse 17. Everything changes on verse 17. Look at this, folks. He says, until, meaning changed, I went into the sanctuary of God, then I discerned their end. You ever had one of those moments you know when you're on your cell phone, you get one of those emergency alert tones, you're, boom, 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 everything's quiet and then the whole thing just shakes. I feel like the walls are going to break. Boom, boom, boom. You know, now, Asaph doesn't have a cell phone here, but he's having his emergency alert moment. Now, he says, I can't Carry on this way. I'm tired. I'm sick and tired of this. I I don't want to be this way. And what does he do? He knows enough that he removes the distractions. And where does he go? The sanctuary. Into, Into the house of the Lord. Into the place the very presence of the Lord is. And he's sitting there. He's sitting. You can just picture him on his knees and maybe with tears in his eyes and he's praying and he's calling out to God and he says, I don't want to feel that way. I don't want to be this way. And he says, I discern their end. Those who are over here who put their hope and their desires in worldly things, their end, their destination is not going to be a good one. Okay? And that, now, now, now understand this. Okay. His focus has been on them. And now he's in the sanctuary of God, just him and the Lord. Have that place, your own place. Carve out that place, that time where you can spend with the Lord every single day. And be authentic with God and express your heart, your lamentation. Have that place. And when he's in there now, now he's focused, his focus is turned from them to himself. Look at this. I, I, I. Notice, notice now the next verses. His focus removes from them to on himself. And from, from verses 18 to 28, we are given the privilege of being there in the moment when he is in the sanctuary with God. He allows us Hey, come on, listen to this. Listen to this. He allows us in this moment to hear his heart. These are the words of Asaph now as he's in the presence of God. Listen to this. Verse 18. Truly, truly, like there's no doubt about this. You set them in slippery places You make them fall to ruin. You 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 hear some of his frustration here, some of his bitterness starting to come up. He's focusing on himself. And you know what's happening now? The cloud's starting to dissipate. Clarity's beginning to set in. But before that happens, he's got to get this off his chest. And he says this. Truly, you can almost almost hear him express his frustration. You set them. They fall to ruin. Verse 19, how they're destroyed in a moment, swept utterly away by terrors. Right? Right? You know, destroyed in a moment. There's, there was nothing because they put all their hope in the world and things of this world. They crash and burn in the ditch of their own delusions. Sounds a little harsh. Yeah, well, it is because he's getting this off his, off his chest. And look what he says in 20. He says, like a dream when one awakes. Oh, Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. And then he goes on in 20, on twenty-one and twenty-two. When my soul was embittered, I was pricked in heart; I was brutish and ignorant, like a beast towards you. He's talking about himself here. He's talking about when he says, like when one, you know, when a dream, when one awakes, you know, when you when you get up and you wake up in the morning, you rub your eyes from the sleep, and there's that moment there where you're suspended, and you're not quite awake yet. He's t- he's talking about himself. God doesn't sleep. He's talking about himself here. He says, "That's the way my thoughts were. We're clouded with, with all of this stuff here. I, I wasn't seeing clearly. It was like that. And then he continues to express him. He says, "I was even thinking this, Lord, that as it relates to them, that you just despise them. You think of them as phantoms, you know, like a mist. Here today, gone tomorrow." He says, "When my soul was embittered, I, I was thinking that way. When I was pricked in heart, I was convicted." See? You see what happens when you, when you, you get those distractions away and you, you just come with, with authenticity to the Lord? Lord, help me with it. God will bring the clarity. He, he even says this in 22. He says, I was brutish and ignorant like a beast towards you. He describes himself that way. I was brutish and ignorant. Now, it's not ignorance that he didn't know any better. He was ignorant that he was behaving like he didn't know any better. In fact, he, he describes himself like a beast towards you, God, like, like an animal. And, and remember, animal, you know what, an animal, animal's whole purpose is just to satisfy their instinct, right? That's all they do. They don't give any thought to anything. It's instinct. Whatever their instinct does, they're, they're driven to do. Now look at this, 23. Nevertheless. <laughs> Praise God and thank you, God, for the nevertheless. However. Nevertheless, however, I am continually with you, he says, continually with you. You hold my right hand. What a beautiful expression of grace. All right? you, know, I'm conti- you you hold my right hand. It's like a picture of a father grabbing his child by the right hand and saying, what are you doing over here? Get, get, come on over here. Get, get over here. In fact, Isaiah says this in Isaiah chapter 65, verse 2. He says, God says, I spread out my hands all the day to a rebellious people who walk in the way that is not good, following their own devices. Asaph has that similar thought in mind here. You hold me by right. And look at 24. You guide me with your counsel. Afterwards, you receive me to glory. What does he talk about? Counsel. This, right here, right here, right here. He's talking about the word of God, right? Don't take it for granted, man. Do not take it for granted. It's easy to do, right? We can take it for granted. Don't take the word of God for granted. And by the way, folks, by way of reminder, this is not a self-help book. This is the living, active Word of God, the supernatural Word of God. And every time you open His Word, every time you read His Word, He speaks to you. He counsels you. He leads you in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Praise God. He counsels you. Look what he says. He says, and afterwards you will receive me to glory. So he's he's coming to the place where he says, unlike these folks over here who've put all their hope in their worldly possessions in the here and now, afterwards when it's all been said and done, there is just one thing that matters. Did I do my best to live for truth? Did I do my best to live for you? My destination, my destination is secure as a child of God. You see how God counsels and and leads you by the right hand through his word, through the power of the Holy Spirit, the beautiful song that we sung this morning? Now look at this, 25, verses 25 to 28, okay? Focus initially on them, on them, 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 them. You notice that? He's feeling sorry for himself, them, them. And then he turns his focus, as he's in the sanctuary of God, his, his focus turns to him. And now look, his focus is refocused back on God, or reinforce your focus back on God. Look what he says in 25. Whom have I in heaven but you? There is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. I love this. He's come full circle, man. He's come full circle. Verse 1, truly God is good, right? Good tov, to those, to Israel, to those who's pure in heart, whose desire is linked to their identity to display the goodness of God. And then he's very bold here in his speech as he laments and he expresses his anger and frustration at God. But then he comes to this conclusion. Man, he says, I got nowhere else to go. I got nobody else to go. Whom have I in heaven? You are, the, you are my purpose in my life. There's nothing on earth that I desire besides you. Isn't that beautiful? You see how he's refocused? Orientation, disorientation. New orientation is back to the future. It's back to the basics. We focus back on God. It's good to lament. It's good to express your frustrations. It's good. It, but, 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 but it's not good just to stay there. Look what he goes on to say. He's taught he, His desires, he expresses his desires. And then 26, he's going to talk about his hope now. Look what he says. My flesh and my heart may fail. But God is the strength of my heart on my portion forever. It's true. Each day as you get older, your strength may begin to wane. But you know what? You spend time with the Word of God, your physical strength wanes, yes, but your spiritual strength gets even stronger. Because what does does the Word of God tell? What does Nehemiah tell us? The joy of the Lord is my strength. But, But he says this. He says... My flesh my heart may fail. This is 26. My, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. And a portion is your part of something bigger. So, so Asaph says, my part of something bigger is not of the world like those people. My part of something bigger is of God, is of the kingdom of God. His desire and his hope. And 27, now he's going to talk about his motivation. He says, for behold... Those who are far from you, who were once near, and they cashed in their chips, so to speak, and they've gone over here, and they've hitched their wagon over here. This is too hard, man. It's just too hard. Yeah, I get it. I get it. I get how that you can have those thoughts. Not a good place to go. That's why we have to get back to the Word of God and back to the basics. He says, those who are far shall perish, because they put all their hopes in the here and now. They've put their hopes in their possessions it's all going to come to an end. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But here's the challenge, folks, especially as it comes to motivation. We've got to be careful that just like those people there were arrogant about their possessions, that we don't become arrogant about the one who possesses us. Right? No, no. You know, Romans chapter 12 says, as far as it depends upon you, be at peace with Everyone. So that when that does happen, and when there is hardships and struggles, and that person, your friend, that relational equity you've developed with other people, and they start to drift over here, you go speak truth in love. You know what Jude says? Oh, man, I love this. Jude says this in in verses 22 and 23. He says this, he says, And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Snatched them out of the fire. So don't become smug. Right? You don't want to become smug about those people here. Yeah, yeah, you got it good now. Right? You, you wait, you wait. You got what's coming to you. You wait, you will wait. It's easy to feel that way. That's called bitter. That's what envy will do. Don't do that. You don't want to be there. So he's talking about his desire, his hope, his motivation. Look at this, verse 28. Now he's going to speak about his faith. He said, but for me, him, it's good. See that? It's good. It's tov. It's good. It's perfect in order. It's harmony. is as it should be. It's good to be near God, not far, to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of your works, that I may tell of your goodness, and speak about the glory of God. Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3 and 4 says this. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. Because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. Important to refocus back on God. So as we wrap up this morning, as we conclude this morning, let's let's let King David... Let's let King David have the final word, the final say today to remind us of how important it is to focus and refocus and reestablish our focus back on God, okay? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Overflows and surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Psalm 23. Let me close in a word of prayer. Father, thank you. Yet again, for the reminder from your word, how important it is to keep focused, to refocus, reestablish our focus back on God. God, you're so long-suffering. You're so beautiful. You're so gracious that you, you allowed us, e- even as we come through the, the dark night of the soul, through that wilderness experience, Lord, that you use, to, you use that to form us and fashion us in the image of Jesus, Lord. Because as Jesus said, you, you, you would do greater things than these. So God, help us to embrace that truth today and the days ahead to look forward. We lament, we call out to you, Lord, but not to stay there. No, to use that to to, to continue to, to move us forward. Ready, set, go. I love that. Amen. So, Father, lead us in that way for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.